Welcome to the Creative Curmudgeon. Today, I have the honor of speaking with the legendary photographer, Edward Culver. We're recording a couple of minutes of this through Zoom, and then we had to stop because there was technical difficulties. So now we're doing this over the phone. So I believe to catch you up, dear listener, so that I I don't have this poor man repeat everything that he just said. Uh, you, Edward, uh, were printing business cards on funeral cards in order to kind of weed out people without a sense of humor. And that was your main way of getting your name out there for, for a while. Um, you have retired from photography after 44 years. And kind of. Kind of. Yeah, I still do band photographs for friends of my old friends of mine that's about it oh, okay um and we were just talking about how you do not seem to be a networking type and how and i was talking about how bad i am at that sort of thing and how sleazy it feels to try to network with anybody and so i was curious how you initially integrated yourself into taking photographs of bands and whatnot without there being like that sort of, you know, soulless networking component, if you will. Yeah. That, that obnoxious pushiness of most photographers. Sure. Or any, any, you know, band person, music person and yeah, whatever. Yeah. I'll, I'll reiterate that, you know, I've been doing photography for 44 years. I've never ran an ad. I've never asked for work. I've never had a published phone number, and I use funeral sympathy cards with my information on them for business cards. And uh, I've worked on over 500 album covers. So, um, like, I I have an expression that uh, imitation is a serious form of flattery. Mm -hmm. And uh, I twisted it around to say imitation is a serious form of unoriginality. Hmm. And you copied somebody, it's like, that's just ridiculous. Like, somebody already did it. You well, have to have your own voice. Well, did you did you start by copying anybody, or did you purposely set no. out to not copy anybody, like, out the gate? No, I never did. Not in my knowledge that I ever copied, you know. I came from a, a total solid uh, applied arts background. I studied all forms of art, uh, ceramics, woodworking, printing, graphic design, um, you know, all kinds of stuff. That's all applied art, never art history. I didn't pay any attention to art history. I only paid attention to the artists that spoke to me, and that's what inspired me and influenced me with particular artists and different periods of art that I cared about. The rest of it was like, eh, I don't care. That's interesting because it seems like with any sort of classroom setting that the attitude is to study quote unquote the greats but even that like people that you study that you don't like that you'd be able to take something from it and then like integrate it into your own work somehow even if it's just like not what what not to do like do you think that's bullshit oh i I guess there's some validity to that but that just wasn't how i went about things yeah a lot of my problem solving, I would say, is like, okay, what's my immediate reaction to solving this problem? Mm-hmm. And then I would uh, come up with an idea, and I would think, 
okay, that's about what 90% of people are going to come up with. So I'm going to head 180 and go the opposite direction in the obvious to try and uh, accomplish something. And it worked quite well. Yeah. Um, I, I think uh, also, like, if you do something trendy, you're a passe joke in six months. Mm-hmm. It has to be considered art, hopefully, which my work will be. That it needs to be timeless. Trendy stuff is passe in no time. You know? It, it is my experience that it feels like human nature to some extent for better or worse to kind of like copy what's going on around you even if it's kind of like an unconscious thing and i'm curious if like that attitude of like not copying people and being completely original if that was something that you kind of had to like work for or was that something that was like always like natural to you uh actually it was always natural to me that was you know it's like who wants to copy somebody it's been done did you ever like accidentally copy somebody and then you'd have to retroactively be like oh shit it was this just forget this uh not that i can recall you know i've done a few kind of joke homages to something you know but uh not just try and copy stuff right um why did you start doing any sort of art to begin with like what was what was the point of it what 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 drew you to it that's all i've ever cared about my whole life ever since i was a kid i was drawing and doing things and you know making wooden things and doing stuff and that's what i studied in school and i excelled at and i don't know that was all i ever cared about was art and you know it influenced my photography Mm -hmm. i don't I don't think most photographers ever have any formal art training. They get a camera and learn how to use it and start taking pictures. And to me, it really shows. Like You have no clue of composition or timing or lighting. You're just out snapping pictures and calling yourself a photographer. You know, photographer is what I say. Well, why, why do, you, do you feel that that sort of like technical ability is important to learn in order to be like a legitimate photographer or do you feel like that can go too far into the you know kind of copying your teachers or whatnot copying what i'm sorry like just copy like like as far as just like learning you know the basics of composition and whatnot whether like that is um an important aspect of being a photographer like are there like I consider it to be huge. Yeah. You know, and most people at point and shoot. It's like, oh, I'm taking a picture of this, so they put it right dead center in the middle of the frame and shoot a picture, and it's like, eh. Sure. Yeah, I'm just kind of thinking of it even in terms of, like, you know, outsider music or whatnot, people that, like, kind of don't have, like, the technical prowess, but have like that ability to have something come across regardless and it seems a lot harder to pull that off in any other art form that's not music yeah maybe yeah so you taught yourself photography that's my understanding largely um how did you teach yourself did you read books was it trial and error like how did you go about that um it was basically uh learning from my mistakes in the early days when i started shooting photographs if i screwed up something it's like whoops i'm not doing that again right and i I learned real quick oh you know it's interesting how like i started out shooting in skid row and punk clubs and uh the punk scene 
has become history, which just shocks the hell out of me. Nobody cared about that music or the scene or anything. They hated it back when I was doing all that work. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, uh, I basically, I stopped taking, I did a few for friends and uh, like when REM hired me, I did some live photos, but basically I stopped taking live photographs at shows in the early 80s when I got a recording, I mean, when I, excuse me, in the 80s when I got a my first studio and started doing studio photography and location photography for record labels that actually paid me. Gotcha. Um, yeah, that's, so, that was probably nice. Yeah. Um, who was the first band you uh, shot? Venue? Ba- uh, band or venue. Uh, I think it was the motel at Madame Wong's, which to me is rather embarrassing because Madame Wong's is sort of where new wave went to die hmm. i liked the early motels they were kind of moody and sexual and dark and stuff they were kind of a cool band but uh right away i made the distinction between punk and new wave they always get used in the same sentence which is just ludicrous they have nothing to do with each other other than being a contemporary scenes the punk scene was entirely different and that's what you know i i started that was in 78 the end of 78 when i started shooting pictures and I immediately gravitated towards the punk scene and stayed there. So once you took a photo or multiple photos of a band, like what did you do with them? Um, not much. You know, I, I uh, set up a dark room not too long after I started shooting pictures and, you know, started printing them. I'd bring them back to shows with me. I used to carry a little box of eight by 10 prints and bring them back and show my friends and stuff. And the circle jerk saw some of the live photographs I took of them at the whiskey and uh, wanted to use them on their record. And I ended up shooting their group sex cover photograph and they were quite a popular band in the scene. And I was always, I was sort of like omnipresent. I was out four or five nights a week for five years. And you know, punks didn't look in the phone book for a photographer and they knew me. I was all, like, if they started going, I was already there. You know, it didn't start taking off until late 79 or early 80 when it started kind of collecting more people in the scene. And, uh, you know, I was just always around and, and they, you know, they knew that I did this and I did that. You know, I did the TSOL EP cover and everybody liked it so it's like hey we need pictures and it just kind of went from there and that's where i kind of just kept going it was like i i say if you do good work people will find you i might add hopefully but if you do good work you know people will pay attention to it so the so you were taking photographs of bands if i'm understanding this correctly and then you were just kind of like showing it to friends of yours and then that eventually got back to the circle jerks camp and then they approached you about uh doing photographs were they the first uh band that approached you uh well to do their album cover yes the yeah. circle jerks group sex was the first record jacket that i worked on so it's just like word of mouth like you were showing friends and then friends would show oh, the bands and then bands would come up to you uh-huh that seems wild just because things have changed so much in such a short period of time. Just like even, you know, us contacting each other, each other on like Instagram about doing this interview or whatnot, where like this period of time that you're describing, 
um, it wasn't that long ago, but it seems like it's like another planet. Well, yeah, it was a whole different era, you know, like there was no social media, no computers, no digital cameras. And, uh, I don't know, you know, like back then, like some zine, like touch and go or something that go, Oh, you shot the effigies. We need a picture of them. And I print up a five by seven print and put it in the U S mail to them and they get it a week later type of thing when they wanted to use it in a magazine. Right. Nowadays you can shoot a picture with your phone and send it immediately to New York and they've got it in three seconds after you took the photo. It's pretty strange. Do you feel like it's easier now to be, integrated into something like what you're describing because of the advent of social media and whatnot, or it seems like the obvious answer would be that it is easier, but then it would also seem like there's just such an overflow of stuff like that, that it would be like harder to be like yeah. a singular entity. Like, do you feel like it would be easier or harder for you to start now? Um, well, there'd probably be a lot like, Taking photographs, live punk photographs at shows is so true. It's like everybody and their dog want to take live punk photographs nowadays. It just kind of blows my mind. It's really trendy or popular or whatever. It kind of freaks me out. There's a video called Black Flag Reunion 1983. Mm -hmm. And there's one that's mislabeled that says Santa Monica Civic, but it was at the uh, Olympic Auditorium, and there's a crowd of 3,000 people, and I'm the only person between the barricade and the stage. There was no bouncers. And uh, the 3,000 people, I'm the only person visible shooting photographs. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's kind of laughable nowadays how, you know, it's a, a whole clutch of photographers up there elbowing each other trying to get the same picture. Yeah, it's interesting because, like, it seems like at the time, like, say I was looking at a photo of Henry Rollins on stage from that time period, like when you were photographing bands and it was on a flyer or an album cover or a book about him or whatever, like I may see the photographer credit or I may not, like it's probably there somewhere, but either way, it's like the focus, it would largely be on like Henry Rollins and like this moment in time and not about the photographer so much. And now it seems like with so much that's shared on websites and social media, people taking photos at shows and whatnot, it feels like it's less of look at this band and it's more like look at what I saw and did and also look at the subject, but look at like what I'm experiencing. Like it's, it seems like more self-centered yeah. in a way. Like, do you think that that's like good or bad or do you think that's all part of social media? Yeah. I call it so-so media. You're not a fan of, of that format? Oh, it's okay, but I just call it so-so media. Yeah. I'm on it, you know. I think we all have to be it on some level, yeah. It, yeah, so, so they can gather all the information they can about you. Sure. <laughs> um, so I got into punk music and the associated fashion at like the turn of the century when I was a teenager, and my parents seemed to find it pretty repulsive as parents stereotypically do but, but but by that point you know punk had been around for a while and there was like that well-known template in our culture for that sort of thing so like i'm sure that like parents at that time and now will associate it with oh you know timmy's going through a punk phase or a goth phase or whatever whereas it seems like at the time when like you were photographing 
bands, it was so new and it was so much in in its infancy that it feels like the old guard would just think that like people were just getting possessed by the devil or from outer space or something like <laughs> yeah. what was what was that like to experience something that was like that new and to be like in the middle of it was that like a scary thing for you guys a what thing a scary thing like was it was there like you know classically there's a lot of con- there's a lot of confrontation it appears that took place like between yeah. like punks and musicians and goths and whatnot and, and, and the straight world, if you will. Um, you know, outside people didn't like the punks, you know, they used to want to try and beat people up or something and stuff. But like, you know, the punk scene got pretty, uh, crazy and violent in the early eighties and stuff. But I was, uh, you know, I was part of it. I was there. I wasn't in a loper and, uh, I never had any trouble. People knew me. You know, no, no, uh, no one ever tried to beat you up. Is that what you're saying? No, Mm-mm. I'm six foot four. So oh, people didn't mess with me much anyway. Yeah, no, that, that, that's fortunate. Um, <laughs> who are, have been some of your favorite subjects to photograph? Oh, uh, I don't know. Like, um, uh, you know, and then the live shows, like the Dead Kennedys and Black Flag, and those bands were really fun to photograph. You know, I did, uh, I photographed Ice Cube. I took a picture of him. I actually honestly spent 60 seconds taking the photograph. Just one minute, I took 10 black and white photos, and that became his uh, greatest hits album cover. It's a great cover, yeah. Um... Um, there's, there was only a handful of people that I wish that I could have photographed, and one was uh, Carl Heinz Stockhausen, the avant-garde composer, mm-hmm. and, and John Cage, who was also in the same vein, and uh, William Burroughs. Those are about the only three people that I would have liked to photograph that I didn't. Were there people that you did photograph that you didn't want to deal with, uh, and it was just kind of like a for them, like, you know, just you had to for one reason or another, but it was like, oh, God, I got to photograph... I don't know, the spin doctors or something. The what doctor? The spin doctors. Oh. You know, that that, that early 90s band. I don't know. I just pulled something out of my ass. But like. Uh, 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 well, I, I photographed Michael Jackson at the Grammys, which was just ridiculous. Did you uh, did you have a conversation with him? Oh, no, no. Uh, there yeah. was a stupid bleacher of photographers set up and he walked out from behind a one of those ridiculous logoized backgrounds and he's wearing a hat and sunglasses. You couldn't get a picture of him even blinking. So he walked out, stood there like a robot. And there's this whole bleacher photographer. It's embarrassing to even be there. I was an assignment. Was and, that, was uh, that during the era when he was like, like the mid eighties when he was like dressed like a dictator all the time and had that monkey? Yeah. I see. I guess. Yeah. Well, at least you got to photograph that monkey, I guess. Right. I didn't have a monkey with him. Oh, that's a damn shame. Yeah, but it was just stupid. You know, I hate those, like, logoized backdrops. They're so obliquous and they're so boring. It's like, gee, it must be an award show, another award show with their logoized backdrop, mm-hmm. you know, just trying to get an ad in there. And it's just kind of stupid to me. It's like, wow, it all looks the same. Yeah. we got to work our ad into the photographs. Um, I've lately been taking a casual interest in photographing dogs. 
Uh And they're not very cooperative. (laughs) No, they're not. And I, I, that's what I was going to say. I've been having a hell of a time getting any of them to stand still or like, you know, predict their movements or whatnot. Like I can't say like, I obviously can't communicate with them in that way. And so it seems similar to photographing bands in a way where like you can't, you know, tell this person to like look over here for like five seconds when they're just like in the in the thick of it or whatnot, obviously. And I'm kind of curious with your trial and error process with getting still photographs of musicians, like did you kind of have to study people in advance so you would know like, oh, Jello Biafra oftentimes does this kneeling thing or whatever so that you could get like clear photos or how did you go about that? Um like you're speaking of studio photographs or live live like how like how would you get like a live good live photograph uh by um paying attention uh being ready i would shoot photographs to the rhythm of the music mm. like da, 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 boom there's the drama right then that type of thing i'd shoot to the rhythm of the music very early on in my photos uh, that I started either shooting one person or getting the entire band in the photograph. To me, it's like, you know, yeah, you got this cool photo of half the band who gives a damn, you know, it's like, I, I just don't like, I have tons of photos like that that were just so chaotic. I just shot random stuff and they're just kind of like, eh, the drummer's not in there. So this sucks in my opinion. What was I going to say? So that makes sense that like, basically you would make it a point to click when they are like on a particular beat or something. So you know that like the band is probably going to be in some sort of like momentary still motion because they're kind of syncopated with the music, even if it's like a unconscious thing. Am I understanding that correctly? Yeah. Yeah. It's like, they're going to jump right about boom, you know, that type of thing too, you know, predicting it, you know, mm-hmm. it was strange because I watched all those shoes, the, all all those shows like through a keyhole by looking through my viewfinder and being ready to shoot. So it's like I would lose my peripheral pole. I was just focused on no pun intended on what was going on within my viewfinder on my camera and being ready for it. And all those shows when I was doing that stuff. Um, why did you decide to do a uh, black and white? It seems like black and white is like the mo- majority of what you've done. Um, yeah, in the early days, yeah, that was almost strictly all black and white, unless I was doing an album cover for like 45 Grave. I did color things with them. And or I'm thinking of like portraits as well that you've done that were like black and white. I'm just curious, like... It, to me, uh, like, the punk scene wasn't glamorous. It was gritty, dark, crazy. And, you know, people say, well, what about the pink hair or something? And, you know, like, oh, you didn't get that. And it's like, that's kind of peripheral jump to me. It's like, eh, it doesn't have any bearing on what I'm paying attention to. You know, mm-hmm. I like the black and white. It's a lot more interesting, mostly. It, 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 it adds to the grittiness of, of the subject, if I'm understanding correctly. Yeah. Um, do you have a favorite uh, album cover that you've done? Oh, um, you know, I like one. I'm happy with quite a few of them. I got hooked up with some really bad graphic designers that sort of destroyed stuff with their graphics. But, you know, like Black Black Damaged, 
mm-hmm. I've always liked that one, but it's been reproduced, like looking like a bargain bin cutout. I, I want to strangle somebody over that. It's like it's never been reissued properly. It doesn't look right. You know, there's some black and white washed out ones, some manipulated color ones, and they look like garbage, and they have my name on them. It's aggravating. Yeah, that sucks. Um, yeah, I wanted to ask you about that cover. My understanding with that cover is that Henry Rollins punched glass for real, and then you photographed it. Is that that's correct? No. No. Okay. I, I, I set it up. You set it up. So, like, the, the glass was broken, and then he... Uh, yeah. Just like kind of put his fist up to the glass. Yes, if if, uh, if we'd just gone like one, two, three, smack, he wouldn't have blood on his hand. So I actually uh, went to this place called the Oxford House, and I took a bottle of red India ink with me, and they had a mirror there, and I took the mirror and I cleaned it. Well, actually, I put duct tape all over the back of it, and I flipped it over and cleaned it. Then I hit it once with a hammer, and then I cleaned it again. And then I went out in the kitchen and started messing around with what was in the kitchen to make the blood. I had the red India ink, and what I came up with to use was liquid dishwashing soap for consistency, instant coffee for color and consistency, and the red India ink. You know, nowadays you can go out and buy stage blood or whatever, but back then you couldn't, and I... Mix it up. It looked great in color and black and white. It looked just like blood. That 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 sounds fun. Was that your idea to do the cover, like that way? Yeah. No, they. I think that they wanted a picture of him getting a mirror or something, and uh, I figured out how to accomplish it. Yeah, that that makes that makes a lot more sense. I uh, I don't know where I heard that he had like actually like punched the glass, and that seems like absurd. But you never know. Um, I, 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 I met him a few years back because he's, he, uh, did a, a talk at a art center that I was working security at at the time. So it's like kind of working security for him, which is really funny. If you look at me and then look at him that I was doing security for him, but he's, he was a very, very nice man, but, uh, he's, he seems like he's mellowed out a lot from those days. So it seemed possible that maybe he would like punch glass for the sake of a, of an album cover. Um, it, kind of, it kind of disavows all that punk era stuff, which is kind of amazing to me. Yeah. You know, he said it's not a good time in my life, but it's like it's what made you. Yeah, it seems like uh, there's a lot of people that I've become aware of that like kind of have that opinion of their early days in music. I guess like just when you're in your 20s, you're just kind of usually fucked up on some level emotionally or whatnot. And um just the, uh, the, I don't know if you know who Sam McFeeters is, um, but uh-huh. Sam McFeeters from the band Born Against. Anyway, he wrote this book about hardcore punk, and he was just like kind of talking about how weird it is to have a job where you just like travel around the country and, and like scream at people and how that kind of takes like an emotional toll on you. So I would imagine that that is the case for a lot of people, that it's just like kind of puts you in a weird space. Yeah, I would think so, I guess. Um, I'm, I'm curious, uh, well, let, let's, let's talk about equipment. Like what kind of, like, what's your favorite camera? Uh, well, I didn't really have a favorite camera. I had what I could afford and used the hell out of it. I just had a Olympus OM-1 camera with a 50 millimeter lens and a little hot shoe mounted flash that would take eight or 10 seconds to recycle. 
the 50 millimeter lens is what gives my photographs the immediacy. It's kind of a standard stock lens, but it's um, akin to human vision perspective. There's no distortion, and that's what makes you feel like you're in my photos. It doesn't have that dumbass fisheye look with everybody's got big noses or whatever. You know, I was, you know, two, three, four feet away from my friends and subject matters. I, I, you know, back in those early days, there was no passes. I was on stage. We're all hanging out. It was like a total different world. I think I shot a couple of shows where they had a, you know, a three song limit thing and stuff. I think I did that twice and I go, this is ludicrous. And it was like somebody's management, like, well, we don't want our guys to look sweaty. And it's like, yeah, God forbid any sweat and rock and roll. Mm -hmm. So, so kind of what you're describing is like kind of recreating the feeling of actually like being there and seeing yeah, the sweat and whatnot. That particular lens, that's what gives it that look. It's like there's no distortion, you know, and I had to be close. I wanted to be close and I was, you know, I was right there. Like there's pictures of HR. I'm like two and a half feet away from him next to him on stage shooting pictures. You know, it's like, it's kind of unheard of now. Um, do you, would you also use that for like studio photography? The 50? Oh, yeah. no, I, I got medium format cameras. I got different lenses. I got four by five camera. I was shooting, I started shooting recording studios in 1984 and, and got a uh, four by five. I was doing four by five architectural photographs of recording studios and post-production facilities for many, many years. I, I worked for like um, SSL and Siemens and DigiDesign and Euphonics and Neves, all these different architects that designed the rooms, and it was, it was. I had a great time. It was an absolute antithesis of uh, my early punk stuff. Do you uh, do you ever use digital, or have, like as of, as of most recently when you've done photography, do you use digital at all? Yeah, I've used my uh, assistant. My, I I use my assistant's gear and his camera when I do favorite jobs for my friends. You know, I've done a you know, five or six photo shoots using his digital camera. So you're not like a purist as far as just like doing proper film versus versus digital. You feel like, do you feel like digital can do the job just as well? Uh, not necessarily. I, I like when I was shooting the recording studios, that's what I did all the time. I'd occasionally shoot my friends' bands and stuff, but for years all I was doing was all the music, like producers and engineers and recording studios and, architectural photographs of those facilities and stuff. And uh, it became such a hassle to get four by five sheet film developed, I just quit. Mm. And so, for you know, I, I did that. I stopped about 12 years ago. Yeah. And occasionally I was shooting with my iPad because I wasn't gonna use my film equipment anymore. You know, I've got all my cameras and stuff. I had um, uh, speed of, on 2400 pack and five lamp heads, extensions, you know, all kinds of stuff. And, you know, I had a complete studio setup and uh, I just, I don't use it anymore. Um, what advice would you give to aspiring photographers? To what photographers? Aspiring. Oh, aspiring. <laughs> Somebody said, uh, how do I make money with photography? I said, sell all your equipment. <laughs> Yeah, I didn't. I didn't mean as far as you know. How can you cash in for it? I just meant like, how can you yeah, not suck? What, what's what's your advice for not sucking? Don't do trendy stuff. 
uh, make sure your photographs are in focus. You know, I, I would always focus, then I'd compose the photograph, and then I would take it. And even in the pit, if I was getting knocked sideways, I was still trying to take a photograph and not just shoot something mm -hmm. randomly. You know, if you're going to work towards being uh, in the business or whatever, you know, you have to have uh, integrity and dependability and, you know, things like that. I don't know. I was pretty lucky with my whole career that evolved out of nothing to being what it is, I guess. So, How do you want to be remembered? Oh, shoot. I don't, I, I don't know. I haven't really given that any thought. My yeah. <laughs> photographs are going to live on past me, which is kind of an interesting thing. I made a legacy without ever consciously trying to. Yeah, that's interesting. Like you were kind of just doing what you wanted to do and then kind of created this immortality in a, in a sense. Yeah, I never, you know, like I have always had artistic aspirations ever since I was a little kid. I used to think hey, I want to grow up and be a painter or something like that. And I just constantly sort of headed that way with not actually working towards it, I guess, but it just evolved into it. It just like, I kept heading that way and that's all I cared about and kept heading that way. And it, it, it paid off. Um, well, I very much appreciate you, uh, doing this. I, I hope, I know you've done a lot of interviews before, so I hope you, uh, I, I hope you enjoy it on some level. I don't know if you're just like, oh, this this sad man wrote me on Instagram, so I'll be nice because he doesn't seem to have a lot going for him. Or if you, uh... no, 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 stop, stop. <laughs> no, it's it's been fun talking to you. You're an interesting guy, and I had a good time, and I appreciate your interest in what I do, and you know, I appreciate you.